Welcome back, everybody. This is episode four of The Primal Show. And Mike and I are here with Jeff Browning today. So do you guys want to do a quick little intro? Yeah, you want to start, Jeff? Uh, sure. Hi, my name is Jeff Browning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, 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 what do I need to say? Uh, I've been running a long time. Um, I definitely eat kind of ancestral, primal. Um, have been for about seven years. Before that, 13 years of kind of organic whole foods. Um, was exploring, I've been exploring diet since my twenties. I'm now 51. Um, so, you know, from a dietary perspective, um, have really been into kind of using myself as a Guinea pig, um, and exploring diet, uh, and seeing how it does, it does with both recovery for running and ultra running and, um, just general longevity and health. Yeah, I, um, I appreciate you going in, with that intro, Jeff, because we didn't really give you a lot to go off of on that. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah, basically you. nothing. <laughs> I that can wing good. it. Yeah, you're great at it. <laughs> so, uh, Jeff, we um, usually when we start these things, Derek and I like to share a little bit of our weekly recap, whether it's to be something we learned from running, nutrition or whatever, and we'd like to invite you to do that with us. Okay. Um, I can start, though. So, you know, last week I... Uh, <clears throat> I did a lot of, it was kind of like a taper week for the race that I ended up dropping out of this week. (laughs) (laughs) But um, because of that, we typically do when we're tapering for races is we tend to dial it back a little bit with our carb intake. Uh, And this is something that Jeff has taught me and I'm sure he taught Derek this as well. But, you know, basically what we're doing is we're typically trying to stay low enough carb. So just before a race, when we do like a kind of a strict keto reset, we can dip back into ketosis and get our body more familiar with burning fat for fuel. And then, so that was showing up for race day. We can be efficient at both fuel sources, um, in terms of receiving energy. And so because of that, um, I, I decided not to do my race this week, but last week, since I was intending to do a race and tapering, I started doing a little bit less intake with my carbohydrates. And so for me, that means a little bit more meat, a little bit more eggs and a little bit less, uh, fruit dropping it down from about 150 grams to maybe 50 to 70 grams or so. So for me, my week was pretty generic since I was just kind of trying to take it easy. But um, what about you, Derek? Man, I definitely had a, um, not a come to Jesus moment, but just like a, a realization again. That's not even the right word. Just like, a, just remembering why I eat the way that I do. Because it was like the holidays and stuff. And I, I ate pretty well for the most part, but um, I was traveling. And at one point I was like, man, a donut sounds really good right now. And I hadn't had a donut in a long time. And that's kind of like things I used to eat all the time. And so I stopped at this place and I, I got a just a normal donut, like just made out of wheat, sugar, who knows, like probably tons of high fructose corn syrup and just crap in it, right? And so I took a bite of it and I was just kind of like, oh, this tastes kind of like soap, but like maple soap. And it wasn't that bad. And after a couple of bites, I was like, this is terrible, but I kept eating it. And then I was just like, oh my gosh, like I... Like, this is disgusting. Like, it just didn't taste good to me. And then I noticed, though, like, um, like a day or two later, not even, like, thinking about it, but just, I was just, like, out on a run. I was like, man, I don't feel very good today as far as, like, energy levels and stuff. And I want to attribute it to that, which, so it was just really interesting to, like, see that, like, even though it was just only, like, a small part of the diet, and I don't, I haven't had a donut now in however many days, like, five days or something. But it just made me remember, like, why I eat the way that I do. It's like, because you feel good, like, your runs are a lot better. And it's like eating a donut, yeah, like it's not the end of the world as far as like longevity, but it definitely affects you short term. And it made me want to just really like 
eat a proper diet like always because like it's like just eating something just because like it would taste good isn't a good reason to eat it in my opinion now because it's like okay like eating real food and like focusing on real nutrients is going to give you a better quality of life and that's way more important than something that's just a temporary like taste benefit yeah i think i go the week before that we were talking and we we basically said that if you eat this way long enough you start to like not even crave that kind of food and when you do eat that food it just doesn't even taste good anymore yeah what was funny is like yeah. I was, after i finished eating i was like man i really want some milk and so i just had a glass <laughs> of raw milk and some berries i was like oh this is super good <laughs> i think also i think you get a little bit new what i call it quote a new level of clean um that you've never had before and so if you do it pretty strictly for a phase for example and then you cheat like or or go eat off list um like Derek just did and I did over the holidays a little bit you know I don't do it a lot but I'll do it like you know a meal here a meal there an evening with you know with the kids watching a movie while I eat a bunch of other stuff you know that I normally wouldn't typically eat or I go to a, I went to a couple Christmas parties and you know just kind of ate some stuff off I always pay the piper the next day. Um, I just feel bad. My GI's off, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And I just don't feel good. I feel a little more inflamed. Um, and I think I really noticed that before I went more strict like this back in 2015, uh, end of 2015 is when I kind of kicked this off. And um, I, I I really do feel like, and I'm always like super motivated after I do something like that. Cause it's a, like Derek, it's an awesome reminder. Like, Oh yeah, that's why I do this. And I feel so much better and I recover so much faster and I clear headed and I'm not inflamed and my GI is not off. And all of a sudden, you know, um, it a straight and narrow pretty quickly. Um, and, and so I'll be back strict, you know, for days and days or weeks after that just because it'll be so clear in my head of like, oh yeah, when I go to make a choice, a food choice, to, I, my choices are always better after that experience. So I think that's a, a a really important thing to point out in this is that, you know, all of us have eaten a standard American diet or junk or vegetarian or whatever. I was a pretty, I was vegetarian for seven years. Um, I have to say the last couple of years of being a vegetarian though, back in my twenties, I started like sneaking meat. Um, <laughs> my wife wasn't, but I was, I would like, I would just find any reason to like get a burger or after a workout, you know? Cause I mean, I think there was a, there's a, there's a primal, like, like need there to say, I need bioavailable protein, please quit giving <laughs> me beans and rice and veggie burgers, um, you know, soy burgers, like just keep causing inflammation. Woohoo. That's fun. Um, but anyway, that's, that's, I, I agree with that. I, I had the same kind of experience over the holidays, Derek. Well, I, um, I don't think I knew this, Jeff. Why did you go vegetarian? Like what was, well, the... it was I mean, it was the nineties, dude. It was like, that was the narrative and it still is the narrative. Right. Right. It, but, but that was the, that was a emerging narrative. And I had been a nutrition major for a while. I wasn't, I, I changed my major to, to, to graphic design and art, um, towards the end of college and, and went down that career path, but I was in nutrition in, in at university of Missouri. Um, so I took 
you know, multiple, multiple semesters of like nutritional classes and kind of the base classes for nutrition major. And um, so I was always interested in nutrition because um, I'd been into kind of like in my younger years when I was playing football in high school, I was really into like kind of the bodybuilding scene, meaning I was like, like back then there was no, no internet. Right. So it was like magazines. So I was like muscle and fitness magazine and stuff like that. And back then, you know, the, the bodybuilding circles, nutrition, you know, um, you know, protein intake and all that kind of stuff. So that, that was kind of like the early days of like, if you wanted some nutritional information as a layman, you know, 18 year old, you read muscle and fitness or something. So, um, and I, you know, I tried all kinds of supplements and, you know, um, different kinds of, uh, with, with strength training back then I was kind of a muscle head in, in late high school and college. And, um, and so, uh, in my twenties, um, my wife and I, my wife of 25 years, um, we've been together 30 years now. Um, you know, we, we totally went down this path of like getting, we went to a bookstore and went to the new, the health section. And there was a book on vegetarians on vegetarianism. And we just started like, we just bought that narrative and we bought the book and we got into it. And so we did years and all we saw was ma major health issues you know like my wife's you know breast milk was drying up in our first kid after she was had had a baby so our first one was born on a vegetarian diet our son and i would say he's like he's like shorter than the average male you know like there was like some some below average type growth markers in him and whereas we've had a third one on a on a paleo primal type diet and our third one who's 11 now and we have one a, a son that's 20 between the two of them like the other ones uh, he is literally a, a head taller at the at the same age um and, yeah interesting right um and, and we got into like after that we got into um uh nourishing traditions which is Weston a price foundation if anybody out there follows raw milk kind of where that kind of push came from, it would have came from Weston A. Price in like the thirties um, of him, like with bone broths. And we, so we got into that kind of um, ancestral, the beginning of ancestral eating in 2004. And that was a really big change because my wife D one gymnast on full ride. And we were, you know, in our twenties at that point, she always had really good muscle tone and good musculature, right. As being a gymnast for so long, like 22 years and, um, coordinated and strong and like amazing climber. And, and we, when she had our first, she, you know, one thing that breastfeeding does is like kicks on like ketosis. Right. But it all when a woman really quickly, but it also like, it makes them lose their, their, pregnancy weight really, really quickly, but she lost it super fast and then just kept losing. Like she was eating, but she just, she couldn't get bioavailable calories on a vegetarian approach, right? They're just, it, she was burning too many calories, right? Breastfeeding. So, um, and she was really dedicated that her mom had been in the Leche League. And so she like, she, she had, she was really like dedicated to like breastfeeding for two years at minimum. And, and so this is, you know, a year, less than a year in, we're having like health issues. Like she's lost all her weight. Now she's gone below 
right? She's 5'2", 110. So like she had gone below her 110. She got down to like, like 78 pounds or something. It was like, or 89 pounds. I can't even remember the number. It was insane. Like she looked like crazy anorexic patient, right? Um, But she's eating, you know, she's doing everything. And so we started working with a naturopath. That's where we got introduced to Nourishing Traditions and the Weston A. Price Foundation issue. We had gone to a traditional um, nutritionist for that time, which is... This is, this is, this is something we were kind of talking offline about, but the nutrition, the the mainstream nutritional approach, and this is the, the, in a nutshell, her mom paid for us to go to a mainstream nutrition, nutritionist. And so we went to the the medical nutritionist, right? And they said, basically eat more ice cream, like basically (laughs) calories in calories out. You just need to eat more calories. So, so that. You know, of course, we tried that at first. We like started buying pints of ice cream and chowing down on like, you know, organic ice cream. And then all like for me, I mean, knowing enough at that time, even though we'd gone down this like vegetarian path, which I would say is a false narrative, in my opinion, you know, from my experience, I just did. I didn't thrive. I lost a ton of muscle mass. I came from a strength training background and I was still lifting weights, but I was losing muscle mass. And it just was, I wasn't thriving on it. And so she wasn't either, right? Her, her breast milk was drying up. She got down to way light. She couldn't even run up a set of stairs anymore. She was like super weak. I was super worried about her. And, um, and we're trying to raise a new, you know, a a toddler. And so, um, we started, um, I'm trying to think how, oh, we had a friend who had had some metabolic issues and he had found, that approach and he turned us on to it and so my wife kind of looked for a naturopath with through the weston a price foundation website hey jeff and we found a naturopath in connecticut jeff, um before but, we go a little bit further i just want to i want to ask you a question that, that like i don't want to get too far away from this subject before you continue but um how much do, do you remember roughly how much protein you were getting when you were I wasn't even tracking because okay. I was just eating like tofu and veggie burgers and I have a soy allergy. I didn't know it at the time, but I have like a soy sensitivity. It's not anaphylactic, but it's GI stress. It's like horrible, man. And so like I'm in the bathroom all the time on a vegetarian diet too, right? And soy is a very, very high allergen in a big portion of the population. It's undiagnosed in a lot of people, but if you're having GI stress, seed industrial seed oils and soy oil and vegetable oils and canola oil and see if your gi clears up i'm sure there's some sensitivity there um just like i have my son has it and we found out through an elimination diet later on a little older my oldest that he had a soy allergy which i'm sure was because we were giving him tofu puffs and tofu and like all kinds of soy all the time i mean his diet consisted of soy milk and soy and like I was doing the same thing. I was getting soy lattes at the time, you know, because I thought soy was like a great protein source, right? I had no idea mm-hmm. about lectins. I had no idea that it, there was molecular mimickers in it that causes inflammation. And like, you can't really break down as a protein. And like, and I didn't even understand bioavailability at the time, you know, of of like vegetarian protein sources versus, you know, animal sources. Um, I didn't understand that piece, you know, that's been learned over the years, but 
But at the time, yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I don't know. My probably bioavailable protein was probably under 50 grams a day. I'm sure. Right. Mm -hmm. And as an athlete, it needs to be over a hundred grams at my size. Um, you know, so I was probably maybe getting half the protein and probably from a bioavailability perspective, I was probably getting less than that, you know, probably 20, 30 grams a day, maybe, um, a bioavailable protein, uh, and a very poor source, you know, to be frank. Um, and so, um, anyway, that, that, that whole, like this whole path of wandering on nutrition led us to this kind of whole foods, organic diet of like sprouting our grains. It's where we first learned about kombucha. We started making our own kombucha. I mean, this is before GT kombucha was even in whole foods, right? Like there was no like commercial kombucha at the time we were ahead of that curve. And, um, so we were, we were making our own kombucha and gallon jugs on top of our refrigerator and we were sprouting stuff and we were eating sprouted grains and we were soaking our legumes and we were soaking our grains. Um, but we still had grains in the diet, right? We still had, we were still doing beans and rice and potato and that kind of stuff. So, and bread, but we were getting organic sources and we just kind of cleaned that up. But my, we started eating meat in 2004 and it was funny. My son had been raised the first like 18, 14, 18 months on a vegetarian diet. And when we started putting like medium rare steak in front of him, he knew baby sign language. And he was like the, you know, you, you put your tips of your fingers together is more. Yeah. And and he could say mo and he'd be mo, mo. Mo. And he just eat it like ravenously. Like when we gave him steak, I mean, just like his body was like freaking out, you know, like I am getting finally, you know, saturated fats and available bioavailable proteins to absorb, right. Full amino acid profile, B12, B2, boom. He's just like, ah, and he's just going crazy. And Jen, my wife was the same way for about two weeks. When we first started eating meat, we ate red meat almost every day. And we were eating eggs and raw meat and like, you know, and and mostly raw meat. I wouldn't say raw meat, but like very rare. And they were just like freaking out and they were like craving it. And then all of a sudden their bodies kind of like said, okay, I'm done. Like, and then, then we were like, she wasn't craving it as much. And he wasn't like ravenously going more, 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 more over and over, (laughs) you know? And I think that was, for me, I realized at that moment that we're supposed to eat animal food, right? We're supposed to eat meat, right? And I and I think that for me as a father, you know, and as an athlete, you know, I saw my wife all of a sudden, like literally in like a month or two, all her muscle mass start to come back. Her strength came back, eating animal meat proteins, like that. It was like magic. It's like somebody gave her a magic pill. And I was like, we're on to something, right? <laughs> And so then I felt like we'd arrived. We were eating this whole foods, organic kind of nourishing traditions. And we did that for 12 years. And then I started having health issues in my forties racing and stuff. And I started having some weird stuff going on in 2015 and um, really inflammatory responses to foods. And that's when I finally kind of came across like a low carb approach, no grains, paleo kind of primal blueprint. I, Mark Sisson's book was the first book I read was Primal Blueprint that really put me kind of on that path of like, okay, I'm cutting out grains. You know, after a bunch of research, I sat back one week when I was having all these health issues and I told my, and I'd been to a naturopath and I was trying to figure it out. 
and I and I knew I should be able to manage this with food or with diet enough. At that point, we were you know we we're seven years of vegetarianism and twelve years of whole foods, organic eating animal clean animal proteins again, you know, and really thinking about our sourcing and all that kind of stuff, you know. And and that's this was before we were thinking about it from an environmental perspective. We were just thinking about it from a bioavailable, you know, the way an animal, an herbivore is supposed to exist. And, um, you know, not on grain, because I come from a farming background, and I knew the commercial model, and I'd seen it firsthand, I knew how dirty that, that model is. And, and, and I didn't want to support that. You know, it's really what ruined the small farmer in America. And I was, I was super, like, sensitive, to, sensitive to that. So I was like, buying quarters, from like local ranchers. I found a local rancher that I've had a relationship. We were buying local raw milk from a rancher, you know, direct, direct from the rancher, giving them, you know, retail prices. So they, you know, because all the lobby and everything keeps them under wholesale. Um, so we, we were really like trying to do it right um, during that time, but all we'd had to do was just tighten the screws a little bit and cut out grains um, grains and sugar and industrial seed oils, which we'd already kind of been shying away. We weren't using industrial seed oils during that time because the, the nourishing traditions approach is, you know, real stuff like lard, tallow, butter, um, coconut oil, stuff like that. So saturate cooking with saturated fats and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of like, like the, uh, in a nutshell, that was kind of our walk through where we are today. And there's a lot to digest there. <laughs> I know. I know. I just kind of gave you like a quick download of my dietary walk. Yeah. Um, I'll let Derek take over after this question, Jeff. But I'm curious to know when you guys started introducing animal protein back into your diet, do you remember how long it took for you to like notice a, an internal difference on how you were feeling? Well, I mean... I just felt, I felt a lot better from like athletic perspective. Right. So but how long um, did 2004, that I would have been in my early thirties. So I just felt a lot, a lot better. My wife, I saw the major change in her cause she was having the major health issues at the time. So right. that's where I saw the most change because she went from like literally being like, you know, three stairs. We had a porch in our front of our house and she, we had two steps, a flat for like five feet and then four, three steps or something. And then onto a porch, she would be winded by the porch. Like she would be like, you know, like her muscles would be like thrashed. Like it was like, she, like, it's like somebody took her VO two max and threw it out the window, you know? Yeah. And, and so she just couldn't function. Like she was tired all the time, almost like chronic fatigue sim symptoms too. And her mother and she was super skinny. And, and I, 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 uh, I was super nervous, you know, at the time, but once we started working with a naturopath, we started working with like cod liver oil and, um, supplementing and, and, and really working on like making sure we had pro animal proteins at three meals a day. Um, you know, we were eating a lot of eggs. We were eating fish and fowl and herbivore, and, you know, we were mixing it up and having variety, but we were eating red meat almost every day. And, and we've been doing that for a long, long time now, you know, cause we started really uh, eating red meat again then. And, um, you know, we now, we don't even buy a quarter anymore. We buy a half at least when I, you know, when, when we buy something, you know, I'm in the process of having an, I, I'm about out of my half now I'm getting low in my free, I have two freezers. Um, 
you know, I have a stand-up one for all the good cuts, and then I have a big, you know, box one for like hamburger and roast. Um, and so, you know, that, that's our prepping. If you want to call us preppers, <laughs> we we prep protein, nothing else. I can survive on just meat if I need to for six or eight months. Yep. <laughs> and I just want to add too, like the thing you were saying about cutting out the grains, Jeff. Like if you're experiencing chronic inflammation, that's huge. Um, I yeah. have a cousin that he's a runner. He lives up here in Northern Utah with me. And for about two years, he was having foot issues, like just severe pain in his feet to the point where he stopped running. And he was in the middle of training for the bear 100. And, uh, I finally convinced him to try a low carb approach for just one week. He was very hesitant about it because he loved his ice cream. Yep. And I was finally just like, dude, just like try it for a week. If it doesn't work out, then what did you lose? And so he cut out grains. He tried the low carb approach and within two days, the swelling, like he had steroid shots. He went and got like all kinds of different shots to get this thing treated and it never worked. But within two days of cutting out grains and going low carb, his foot, the swelling and it reduced down to like a size that he'd never seen for two years. Like his foot was just well, constantly inflamed and two days of going low carb fixed it. And then he just finished the bear 100 a few months ago too. So, so is he still crazy. on it? Still on the diet? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's stricter than I am. Like he's, well, he's a that's the thing. What happens is in these, in these inflammatory responses, right? You're probably having some kind of a metabolic, the beginning of a metabolic issue starting in these people that are really experiencing chronic, chronic stuff like that, where, yeah. you know, some of us have a pretty healthy metabolism. Right. And so there's just little signs and symptoms, right. But some people that are in major symptoms, right? They, he might have to be kind of strict the rest of his life just to keep it in check. Because if we've gone long enough and, and damaged ourselves long enough, we, you might not be able to fully come back, right? From right. that from that cliff, right? We can pull you back from the cliff, but if you've done enough, like this, I mean, this is an example of my dad. My my father was type two had type two was a type two diabetic, you know, diagnosed in his fifties. Probably was dealing with it way before that. Um, you know, because he's always been over, he was always overweight. Now he's passed away since in 2020, but like, I saw him like for 10 years with a heart attack that damaged his heart. That was from diabetes, right? Um, like damaged his heart. Then he had like a few years later, had a stroke that damaged his circulation, right? Then that he was in a wheelchair and couldn't use his right side. And we're talking about an overweight guy, 5'8", 240, right? And it has no muscle tone, right? Because so he couldn't even lift himself out of a car, like with his good arm, right? Because mm -hmm. he has no base strength when he, by the time he had the stroke. So like he had to be helped out of car into the, like he had to go to kidney dialysis three times a week to keep his kids functioning. Right. So, so medical technology was actually keeping him alive. Like if we, if we didn't have, you know, if, 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 we, didn't, if we couldn't keep his kidneys flushed every, you know, three days a week, it, they'd clog and he'd die. So like for five years or six years or whatever, he was on kidney dialysis was the only thing that kept him alive. He finally passed away in the middle of the night and sleep had an episode and like in a rest home and passed away. But I mean, that's a good example of like, and I put him on our diet, like primal blueprint, basically, you know, I put him on that diet for one for seven days. When I first made this shift back in 2016, I was back for a race and went back to help them for a week. And I totally saw like we normalized his blood sugar, which was never normal on the, 
on the American Diabetic Association recommended macros. His his blood sugar was usually 180 to 200 every day when he take it multiple times a day because he had to take it every day. Um, and on my diet, one one meal he was 107, and two meals he was 95. His blood sugar, you know, over under 120 is normal. So I got him one meal, 107. We normalize his blood sugar. Two meals, he was 95. He never went over 100 the rest of the week. He only went to 74 one day when I was like cleaning the house and was like kind of got sidetracked and forgot about him. And I looked over and he's in his wheelchair with the TV going and he's like dozing off in his seat. And I go, dad, are you hungry? And I think so. I peeled him an orange, you know, right? Blood sugar, gave him orange with fiber, made him eat like half an orange. We took his blood sugar. It was back up to 95. Like it was like magic too. another magic pill, right? It was like, and I kept him normal the whole week. Like he had his people at, at, dialysis it was monday wednesday friday dialysis and he had to go like lived in a small town so he had to drive like 20 miles so i took him the, at, that week he normally would take like an oats bus right mm-hmm. they'd come pick him up with his <clears> wheelchair <throat> and help him and all that well because he had to go for like three hours or something or two hours i can't remember but i i drove him that whole week and helped him in and out of the car and all that and like he they were freaking out at the dialysis place because they take his weight, his blood sugar, everything, every single day, every time, time he comes. And he lost like six pounds that week. He, his blood sugar was normal the whole week at dialysis. And they were like, what are you doing? You are, your blood sugar is like completely normal. Right. And he just was like pointing at me <laughs> with his thumb. He's making me eat a certain way. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, he's making me eat his diet. And so then, but by the end of the week, he kind of bought into it, right? He was like, man, this is really, he felt better. He was clearer, right? He's on nine pharmaceuticals at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Oral, oral insulin, everything else. What What's cool is I went to their local grocery store and I made a a, a, a grocery list based on what he could get as local grocery store. I just went through and like listed only the things he could buy there, right? So basically primal blueprint from his local like cheap grocery store, like commercial grocery store. And uh, um, to his credit, they stuck to it for about four weeks after I left. And he lost like 25 pounds during that time. He lost 25 pounds. His inflammation was way down. His blood sugar was stable for a month. Okay, we're talking a type 2 diabetic, man, right? Who's having trouble with their pancreas is not functioning properly, right, for insulin. And he had to back off on his oral insulin units, like 10 units or something. So he had to back off on his daily dose of insulin because his insulin became stable. I mean, we're talking a guy who's had a heart attack in his circulation. The top half of his heart was damaged and a stroke, and he's lost use of the right side of his body. And I was able to get him kind of normalized on this diet. Now, imagine what would have happened if I could have caught him before he had his first heart attack. Right. Right. We probably could have healed him. And he might have had to been really strict the rest of his life with the diet, but, and he couldn't have cheated. But right. that's my theory. I think we could have healed him had we, because that experience and that extra, it was kind of a cool, like, N equals one case study on my dad, you know? Like I was super excited about it. And when I had that experience of that, whatever, five weeks, right? That was like four months into my walk in in kind of a primal blueprint approach and and keto. 
I was kind of using keto at that point as a tool and I was using carbs a little higher and bigger training blocks, right? More fruit and that kind of stuff. So I was kind of playing with what we do now, but I was still learning and, and I was still like trying to figure it out and fine tune it for myself and like what works and what doesn't work. And it was just kind of this, for me, I felt like it was a, it was like a sign, you know, it was like, you're on the right path that you're on to something here, man. There's something here. And I don't care what the narrative is in the mainstream. I don't care what these nutritional programs are freaking teaching people who with all the letters behind their name, it doesn't matter because this makes more sense because one, we come from hunter gatherer background and it's more of a hunter gatherer type of diet. Right. And, and that totally logistic or logically, sorry, not logistically, logically makes sense, right? right? It makes complete, if you just use your simple logic, it makes sense. So do you want to go there? <laughs> yeah, I was, um, yeah, unless you have another question about that specifically. Well, I was just going to ask, like, I, I'm sucked into this now. Like, why, why did he <laughs> stop doing it after four weeks? Well, can out of like, I mean, we're talking 70 years of like addiction, of food addiction, right? Uh, and habit of buying specific. And my mom, and my mom has like, at the at the time, it was before she had a head injury in a fall. Um, she had the beginning of like short-term memory loss. So she was having some dementia stuff um, starting. Um, but it wasn't horrible and she lived in a tiny town and we could keep them in their house and they, everyone knew them, you know, and she only drove to the gas station, the bank and the grocery store. Right. She didn't go anywhere else. Like, so we kept her like kind of in this space where, you know, the community was 1700 people in the town. So everyone knew her. My brother lived, you know, like 10 blocks away and his family. So he could watch over them and keep track of them and all that kind of stuff. So we we're trying to keep them in their house as long as we could. And that's why I'd gone home to help like, you know, handicap accessible the house a little more and help them clean up. Um, but you know, I think what happened, I mean, frankly, is that my mom was the main grocery buyer and she just went right. back to her old habits, right? Buying saltine crackers, chips. She's a, she was like a chronic snacker you know? Mm, yeah. And she was always just putting something in her mouth. Um, and so that stuff's around and my dad, you know, was in a wheelchair, so she made him food. And so I, you know, it's a combination of those two things for sure. You know, habits, bad habits over decades and decades, right? Your whole life. And then you got to change. I mean, even now, right, Derek, you said at the beginning of this, you had a donut, right? Because you used to eat donuts. There is an emotional attachment to the donut, Right. There is something in your brain that says, oh, remember donuts? Remember how good they taste? I still have that too. For me, it's Coca-Cola, Snickers bars, right? And a donut, <laughs> you know, like I'm thinking, ooh, and a chocolate chip cookie. Um, you know, so like, but there's something that, you know, when you get that insulin response and you jack your blood sugar way up, right? And your pancreas has to kick out a bunch of insulin. Th there is something in your brain, pr primitive, that shuts down you being full and it says, eat more, eat more of that. You need more of that. Winter's coming, winter's coming. You know, it was a safety mechanism from our kind of hunter gatherer seasonal eating days where, you know, we ate things ripened in season and it, it shuts something off in our brain that says you're full and it says store fat in a cell. And it does all these signalings because it was a safety mechanism, but now we winter never comes 
for the average human, right? <laughs> you know, we just keep eating things that are sugary and sweet. And that, that just tells us eat more, eat more. Winter's coming and winter never comes. Uh, I'll let you go, Derek. I feel like I could keep asking him questions about this and just never stop. So you better take it from me. <laughs> yeah, I think we could talk about that probably for hours and hours and hours. But um, yeah. I, don't, I don't think either of us or neither of us have time for that. Um, but Jeff, before we jump too far ahead, cause I know that you eventually, um, got into keto and that was a big part of your life. And then you kind of evolved that into more of an animal based, like kind of primal ish diet of like adding fruit and even potatoes sometimes. Um, but before we jump over to that, cause I definitely want to hear about why you went from strict keto to that. Um, could you quickly just sum up like the difference between a keto diet and animal based diet and then now the kind of trendy lion diet, basically just a carnivore diet that Michaela Peterson practices. Yeah. So like, um, keto diet would traditionally just be like moderate protein. And so the portions are not big, right? So moderate protein because you're trying to avoid, uh, gluconeogenesis, meaning any excess protein gets converted through gluconeogenesis to, to glucose in the bloodstream and affect and and so we're trying to keep that from happening in a keto ketogenic approach and then um especially anyone who's insulin resistant right they don't want they don't want to do anything that's going to put too much glucose in their bloodstream um and then the other is the the carbohydrate kind of tolerance and carb tolerance usually is kind of traditionally is 50 grams 50 grams of net carbs a day um you know, you stay that or less, right? So pretty much veggies. I mean, you can pretty much just have veggies as your carbohydrate, maybe a couple of like a handful of berries or small serving of berries that are really low carb berries, like blueberries or something like that, or raspberries or blackberries. Um, but you're, you're pretty, you, you gotta be pretty strict to stay at that level. Um, now that it's been very helpful for people who aren't super active and then have some kind of insulin resistance. It's been very successful. And, and, and I would refer people to read um, uh, Jeff, Dr. Jeff Volick and Dr. Stephen Finney. Both have done a, probably the most published two on ketogenic diet. Now, they are very ketocentric because they've come at it from a, help, helping people with health issues. So they're, they're coming at it not from a sports side, but more from the health care side of people that are, have insulin resistance or have type 2 diabetes or type 2 diabetics. So um, they have a they have a couple of books out. Um, one is called um, "The Art and Science of Low Carb Living." That's the more like in the weeds medical medical book. Um, so any healthcare professionals that want to look at that and want want to know this side and the research, I, I would recommend that book. It's a good book. It's it's meaty. Um, it's not you know it's not a fast read. There's a lot to absorb in it. Um, and then they made they did another one called "The Art and Science of Low Carb Performance," which is more geared towards athletic performance. Now, I would argue that they are a little too keto centric. So if we're still, I want to stay in the keto camp here for a second, because I do want to emphasize something. If you're an ultra runner out here listening or, or an endurance athlete or, or someone who does a decent amount of exercise, you can't go chronic keto forever. Um, it will affect you. Now, I want you to, I, I would recommend people look at it as a tool, right? It's a tool in your toolbox and, and it's a tool you don't use every day. You know, it's not a hammer and a screwdriver. It's more like a crescent wrench. It, you bring it out every once in a while to use it, but you don't use it all the time. So um, um, because because 
you you are working out so much you have a big need for topping glycogen back off so and that's what made me evolve from a strict keto initially and i was doing it more from my my health perspective because i had some health issues and ketogenic helped me get it in remission um and then i was able to like heal from it over a couple of years and then i could bring i was able to after about a year to really bring my carbs i still brought carbs back but i stepped i kept really strict in that I only use like low carb fruit at first, right? I wasn't doing any bananas, no oranges, right? I do, I do only like little small organic crisp apples and berries basically. And, and I did that for about a year and a half because I was so nervous about having, I had like some candida stuff going on and yeast feeds on sugar. I was worried about flare ups. And so that was the health issue I was dealing with. And so I really wanted, I had to manage it. And so I was using the diet to manage that issue. Now I saw a lot of health benefits and and, and performance benefits during that time. And, and but I I was definitely being mentored at the time by Zach Bitter and Peter Defty at Vespa. And um and they and and Peter really helped me like understand the OFM approach. And that was like strategic carbs around effort and volume. And so I slowly evolved from this kind of keto approach that I, I kind of went to strictly at first into more of like using strategic carbohydrates. And most of the people have had issues as an athlete in the ketogenic camp is because they've been chronically too low carb. And, and at first they feel good. They lose weight. They get lean. They feel great. They, their recovery's fast. And then at some point it catches up to you and you feel flat. You, you don't have any pop you're going to have like, you're going to start feeling like motivational issues. And that usually means that you're starting to get some issues with like thyroid or some hormone regulation or something like that, because your carbs have been so, you know, think of ketogenic as almost like, it, it's like a, it's like a, a, a maintenance, not a maintenance, a, uh, almost like a, a, like we're trying to a survival diet, right. From our seasonal hunter gatherer days, when things weren't ripening in season, we had to go into this ketogenic state. To, and it's really cool because it was a cool cycle because the ketogenic state cleans up metabolic stuff, mitochondria, damaged mitochondria, all kinds of cool. You get autophagy, you right? You're, you're, you're producing blood ketones. So you're getting a, a, a different fuel source to your bloodstream than like straight glucose, right? So like there's all these cool auxiliary benefits you get from it. But it's one of those things like anything, we can't go to the extreme right? For too long. And so when you go to the extreme, you start getting issues, right? And, and, and I would argue that, that there's data that backs this up. We've have, we've had endurance studies on the, comparing like a high carb diet to a ketogenic diet, right? And I always hate those because it always comes out like, well, yeah, you have bone density issues when you don't eat enough carbohydrates and you're just, and you're having moderate protein and you're, and you're trying to do a you know, hundred miles a week, you know, like you're going to have health issues because you're not giving your body enough resources in that. It's just like someone having an eating disorder, right. To go, to go that low through a big training block. You're, you're not going to feel great. That's why I like to say that we're not keto. We're not a keto athlete. We are using ketogenic diet as a tool, but it's usually in very like easy days, low volume days, in the taper when our volume's low and we want to kick our fat burning back up a little bit and, and produce blood ketones at a higher level just to remind the body, Hey, this is how we burn fat, right? Really, really well. But during the bigger training blocks, 
there's more carbohydrates coming in. And that's from twofold. When we look at an animal-based approach, the difference between keto, right? Moderate protein, really low carb. Then we get into the carnivore camp or even like what we're calling, you know, Saladino is calling carnivore 2.0, which is basically um, high protein and fruit and raw honey and raw dairy, right? So I still eat vegetables from, you know, I don't eat as many as I used to. I used to be more ketogenic style of carbohydrates where I eat a lot of vegetables with like a lot of meals. And now I just, I, I eat like one, I, like one meal a day has vegetables probably in my household. And um, the rest of the time I'm having just fruit, raw honey, raw, uh, raw dairy and protein. So, um, and then, you know, we're, we're recommending, you know, at least the way I approach it. I know this is the way Mike approaches. I know this is the way you approach it, Derek. Um, there's a lot of athletes that I coach that are doing OFM. We go pretty high protein. So we're going like 70 to hundred percent of our body weight. If you're lean, right. If you don't need to lose weight, whatever your body weight is. So like, for example, I'm lean. I have about 7% body fat. I'm, I'm about 140 pounds, five, eight, 140. I shoot for a hundred to 140 grams of protein a day. So my bare minimum, like is a hundred grams, right? That's about 30. If I had three servings during the day, that'd be 30, 33, you know, grams of protein per serving, right? For me to get my baseline. And that's on my easier days, low volume days, low intensity days, on my higher intensity days or bigger volume days where I'm doing strength training and a run or a long run, I'm going to not only have high protein, I'm probably going to shoot for, you know, 120 grams probably or more a day in that day. So I'm probably going to have a fourth meal of some kind of protein source. Um, sometimes that might be whey protein shake with raw eggs in it, but or it might be, you know, a bunch of an extra egg meal or something like that. Um, and, and, and then I'll bring in a fruit and I don't go to strict, like low carb fruits anymore, like berries. I have bananas, I have mangoes. I, I like mix it up. Cause I, I have grapes. Like I make, I bring, cause my kids, I have kid, three kids in the house, you know, 11 to 20. And I bring in a ton of fruit. Like they eat a ton of it. And then I just like, I try to eat it before they eat it. You know, I'm like, I'm gonna get my, my portion too. Cause they'll like go to town on fruit. Um, and so, I mean, that's the sweet in our house is fruit, um, you know, fruit and raw honey are the two kind of combos with, with my family and, and, you know, mixing it in with like raw, da- raw or cultured dairy, like a whole, you know, cultured yogurt or something like that, like a Greek yogurt. Um, anyway, that's kind of the difference between like an animal based, right? We're, we're doing more protein because here's the thing as an athlete, if you eat excess protein that you can't utilize, let's say you've done a bunch of hard workouts, right? You need to repair. Well, you're, 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 you're going after say, you know, if you eat steak, 92% bioavailable beans and rice, 47% bioavailable approximately. So you don't have to eat very protein to get a lot of bioavailable protein, amino acids, B12, you know, everything else that you need to repair. So we're really prioritizing nutrient dense foods, fruit, raw dairy. Now, some people don't do well on dairy and they might have to do a little less or not very much. But I find that a lot of people who have been kind of feel like they're dairy intolerant, probably pasteurized dairy mm-hmm. um, versus raw. Most people haven't mm-hmm. tried very much raw because they're scared to. Um, and I would recommend reading on it. Um, 
you know, I think realmilk.com, Weston A. Price Foundation on raw milk, there's stuff on information on raw milk is really good. Um, I do, I do recommend educating yourself on the raw approach um, before you go out there and pull the trigger. But, you know, it's easy to get raw cheese. It's easy to get cultured dairy, cultured yogurt, stuff like that. Um, even people with, uh, you know, dairy allergies don't usually do, don't have any problem with butter, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, does that answer the question, Derek? Yeah, for the most part. And then that leads me to my next question. And, um, like just thinking about how much fruit you're eating and like high glycemic fruits, such as grapes, they're just basically like little sugar bombs. Um, and like, I do the same thing as well. Like I don't necessarily like, like differentiate between like a grape and a raspberry or something, but do you feel like, especially for an athlete, that you can have too many carbs from fruit? Like, so an animal-based diet is like including meat, organs, and fruit. But what if you made like the bulk of your diet from fruit and you're still hitting like 100 grams of protein per day, for example? I think that could have a negative well, I consequence. Mean, well, I think the beauty of eating higher protein is that it fills you up. So you don't overeat. Um, so you're not going to end up eating, you know, 400, 400 grams. It's, it's hard to go try to eat 400 grams of fruit, right? <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> yeah, well, you're probably going to be in the toilet with all the fiber. Um, so you're going to clean yourself out, man. Um, but I find that like, as long as you're having multiple servings a day of fruit, you know, when you're in a bigger training block, I use potatoes. I use a lot of starch, either starch or like potatoes and sweet potatoes or, um, um, or standard fruit, right? So um, I eat a lot of bananas and, um, apples and berries are my main and mangoes, um, are for me personally, it's just where the, where I shop, that's easy to get for me. We get grapes occasionally when they look good. Um, you know, but my kids will like mow through the grapes and I won't, I only get like one serving or something. Um, so it's more for like as a treat, right? Um, but I don't, I don't think you can, if you're eating mainly just animal based and, and getting that amount of protein we're talking about, um, that higher protein approach, you know, any, any excess protein is going to top off glycogen through gluconeogenesis, right? Cause what we really want your, this, an athlete to do is top off glycogen, right? Cause that's where we see the health issues in a ketogenic approach to an athlete is that they're, they're not getting enough bioavailable like glucose right to to like repair and so timing matters and that's why i think timing your carbohydrates around effort and volume is important right and mainly after i would say if you're gonna really prioritize one thing it would be having those carbohydrates in a six to eight hour window after your workout you know when you when bioavailability is really good your body needs to repair and top off glycogen it needs all that kind of that mechanism and that that hormone signaling and everything else you need during that time you it's ready to like absorb glucose and like top off muscle and bone glycogen and, and i think this is something we talk about a lot and mike knows i coach mike you know like we we talk about timing is a really important piece of the of the carbohydrate thing when there's a window of timing that's really good after workouts um and that's the time like you know it's okay to have quite a bit of carbohydrate right after, especially if it's from a good bioavailable source and a good nutrient dense source. That's why we we're really what, at the end of the day, we're, we're prioritizing nutrient dense foods. I think that's something to emphasize in this conversation. 
And and all those people out there that like say, oh, you just need carbohydrate. That dude, calories are not equal in that setting, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a, a a bagel or a peanut butter sandwich with a bunch of lectins in it and mold toxins in the peanut butter, right? And gluten is not the same as an orange and apple and a banana, right? And calorically in the calorie density, if we put the two of those together, you'd have to have multiple pieces of fruit to equal that peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? That has probably high fructose current syrup, unless you're buying really good organic without sugar in it, right? Added sugar, but it's still going to have, even if it's natural, it's going to have fruit juice in it, right? Which is going to jack your blood sugar up a little bit, right? So like there's, those are not created equal. And that's where we are at our camp. I think that's an important piece of the conversation. It's about nutrient-dense food, bioavailable nutrient-dense food. That's what we're prioritizing in, in this approach. In an animal-based approach, it's not just eating meat only. Not, that's the one thing I hate about the carnivore movement. It's like the vegan movement. They're so extremes. They're like two extreme sides of the spectrum. That's why I like to say, you know, animal-based or animal-centered diet, right? Or whatever. Or nutrient nutrivore diet, right? Nutrient-dense foods, right? From real sources. As close, like the le- the less man has his hand in it, the better. Right. Right. So the, well, Mike, did you have a question? Um, just a statement to go along with that, but you can go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess my only question then was like, ideally you're eating like this, like you're prioritizing protein, nutrient dense foods, but then on say like race day, if you're, if you're running or cycling or something, or say it's like a, I don't know how bodybuilding works. You have some big weightlifting day and you want to like set a PR does the nutritional density kind of go out the window and you prioritize like energy performance? So like maybe like simple sugars and carbohydrates versus like a steak or a piece of salmon or something. Well, I think timing something before a harder workout, let's say you're going to do speed work, for example. Right. Um, I know like Mike does raw honey. He'll do like a spoonful of raw honey, you know, before that workout or something. Um, I'll do that. Or I might like two hours, hour and a half before the workout, I might have a banana or something, you know, if I'm going to go do speed work that day. Um, or I might even prioritize some carbohydrates the night before in the meal the night before. Right. Cause it takes a while to get to cellular level, right. Even though you're going to get some blood sugar rise from like a banana two hours before a workout, you're really not getting any of the nutrients in that banana for that workout. You're just getting the sugar. That's it. Um, but that can give you some pop in that workout. So timing that carb, this goes back to timing, right? Timing the carbohydrate intake. Now in long runs and races, this is where simple carbohydrates are all the way on. Like we use them in long runs and races. Now we, you're going to burn fat naturally at a higher rate if you're doing this approach because you're keeping your insulin stable for most of the, your waking hours, and so when that happens, you're going to be able to tap into your fat onboard fat stores way more efficiently and at a higher level per minute, right? Your grams per minute is going to go up. Now, the cool thing about that is then you don't have to have as many calories per hour during a long run or a race. So most of the athletes that do this, they can all of a sudden they can go from like trying to push 300 calories an hour in a race so they don't bonk to doing 180, 200 calories an hour, feeling pretty darn good, never having any low lows. 
And we think about it from more of an IV drip of calories instead of like bombing yourself with 200 calories in one setting. It's like, how can I IV drip calories, whether it's a, you know, carbohydrate drink, like, you know, scratch or tailwind or goo roctane or something like that. And then electrolytes, electrolytes are really important, right? How many electrolytes, especially sodium and potassium, but sodium per liter, you know, thinking about all those kind of things, how much you're consuming per liter and then um, calories per hour and then your drink rate. And then figuring out hydration and what works for you and different temperatures and settings and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of fine tuning like nuances in there that are part of, you know, a part of the side conversation. And that usually comes in in the coaching process. But but from a general perspective, we need after one hour in long runs and races, you need an hourly regimen of hydration, electrolytes, sodium per liter, especially, and calories per hour. And that just needs to be an IV drip of calories, whatever works for you. I use goo roctane, some ge- goo gels, chews. I do salted plantain chips. I do some Boulder brand potato chips, the avocado oil ones. So they're not in a seed oil, industrial seed oil. Um, beware of the tables. The processed food on the table is cheap, everyone. They go to Costco <laughs> or Sam's and they buy in bulk and they buy cheap. So it's got cheap ingredients and junk ingredients in it. So I always stick to fruit and natural foods off the tables, and then I have my own stuff. So I'm curious, Jeff, <laughs> with the whole optimized fat metabolism approach, yep. uh, I, kn- I know that you avoid grains, but in your opinion, if somebody is metabolically healthy, if they're not experiencing chronic inflammation, do you feel somebody could follow an OFM approach and still utilize grains if they choose so? I mean, I think you can, but you got to be careful because there is an inflammatory response to those, right? There's anti-nutrients in grains, phytic acid, lectins, you know, stuff like that. That's going to block, you know, stuff like iron and zinc absorption in your gut. Um, It's going to mess with like bioavailability because that's just not that bioavailable. And so, and there's an inflammatory response to those anti-nutrients. So I think there's, you're, you're, you're leaving something on the table. But I think you could have it, I, I think it's one of those areas that are metabolically healthy, you can have it in moderation. Like, you know, for me, like I'm metabolically healthy and I will have sourdough bread occasionally, you know, or a sandwich with sourdough bread, or I'll have a, a bread with, you know, a burger with a bun occasionally, you know, like I'm, I'm not all the time. It's not like a staple every week, but like, you know, if I go out to eat with my family and we're at like a really good place that has good, like, like I know it's good sourdough bread, you know, I know it's like bakery sourdough. It's coming from a starter. Like I'll have the sourdough bread. Right. So like, I think like quality matters and, uh, and, um, moderation, right. Like variety and moderation is kind of the key to diet. And so being moderate in those foods you know have anti-nutrients in them and anti-nutrient values that might be causing inflammation in the system like that's what we're trying to fight all the time is an inflammatory response in training right especially if you're coming out from an endurance endurance training perspective is like we're we're trying to minimize inflammatory response so we can get back and train more volume more intensity come back quicker right so you know and that's the key to longevity too yeah, one thing that I've been telling a lot of people lately is like it's not always about performance. Like me personally, if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, you just need to start eating loaves of bread and you're going to like win all your races." 
I don't know if I'm going to do it because for me, longevity, making it in my 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and like thriving and not just surviving, like that's kind of what my goal is with my nutritional approach. So uh, is I, that me too. Yeah. I'm the same. I watched my dad deteriorate and be taken 20, 15, 20 years early when he shouldn't have, right? Like, I, I just don't, I don't want to be that person. I want to be like thriving and like not bent over, broken down by the time I'm 70. Yeah. And I'm sure your kids would appreciate that too. <laughs> yeah. And I had my kids when I was older, you know, 30, 30 through 40 is when all my kids were born. So, you know, I'm going to be older when my youngest is 11 and I'm 51, you know? Mm. So like, I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be 60 years old when he's just getting out of the house. So like, I want to be around, I want to be around. Like I might, you know, my, my dad didn't get to see, really get to know his grandkids because of it. Right. Mm. Because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Derek, you had a question? Um, yeah, unless you have something else to say about that. I was gonna jump towards a discussion on dairy, but No, you're good. Okay. So so Jeff, then what are your, your thoughts about dairy, specifically raw dairy? Because I know a lot of people, like especially like in the the keto slash carnivore world, are pretty against dairy because they call it like a, a newer food as far as like ancestral talk goes. Um, but like, it is very nutrient dense, all mammals like make it and eat it, um, at least when they're babies, but now as humans are eating it or drinking it as adults. Um, so a lot of people are like, well, it's not necessarily an ancestral food. It's not good for you because it's not natural, blah, 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 blah. So like, what are your thoughts then on eating dairy, um, as far as like just general health goes? Well, I, I don't get dogmatic about the primal thing, about the ancestral thing, right? I'm just looking at it from like, here we are genetically coded, right? We're kind of genetically coded to be kind of a hunter gatherer, right? Our GI tract is probably the most like, like a carrion bird, right? Like a buzzard than it is even like a coyote or a wolf. We hear that thrown around a lot, but we're probably the most like that kind of a, a, a an animal in the animal kingdom, our GI tract. So we're built to eat a lot of meat right? Probably primarily protein eaters, right? And, and so, and, and, and if anybody's ever grown a garden, you can't really like grow something year round without technology, like a greenhouse, right? So in a, in a primitive role, we're primarily meat eaters. Now, I think what's happened over the years is we've evolved during that time, right? As humans to you know, domesticate animals. So we don't have to go like hunt them for five hours a day, you know, and maybe get, you know, gored by horns or something when they're trying to kill it, you know? So like, it was a safety kind of like evolution, right? Like, Hey, Hey, we don't have to go run around for six hours. Let's just, let's just like domesticate these like herbivores and like, we'll just walk out the pasture and boom. Right. I got food on the table. I don't have to go like you know, with my tribe for seven hours looking for food. So I think that, you know, if you look at like how we've kind of like that slow evolution of like how we've domesticated things and made things like easier to consume and easier to produce, um, I'm not dogmatic about it. So like we know that like raw dairy has is very nutrient dense. There's a lot of benefits to it, right? Um, bioavailable calcium, you're not warping the proteins and the fats in it because you're not pasteurizing it. So it's, it's like 
completely bioavailable. It's basically a raw food, right? So it's really bioavailable, just like protein, you know, the more, the less you cook it, the more bioavailable it is, right? So the more you heat it, the more you warp proteins, right? And fats in that food. So it's just like holding a lighter to your skin. Like it's going to damage your skin a little bit, you know? Um, so that's how I look at it personally. I don't get dogmatic about it. I just know that one, I taste it. I love raw, I love whole raw cream. Um, it's good with berries and raw honey. Um, and so for me, like, just like if we're eating a standard American diet, you're like, oh man, I love Snickers. How could I give them my Snickers? Well, I'm kind of like, well, why would I, why would I, there is some part of us that is real. There's a, there's a social kind of comfortable thing that goes along with food. Right. And I think that's part of who we are as humans, right? We shared meals together. We sit down, you let your guard down when you share a meal with someone, right? The conversation roams and like people get less defensive when they have food in their gut. Um, and so like, I think there's a whole like social aspect to food that, and, and that we don't really want to, I don't know. I'm not going to give that up. If I have to give up, you know, things that I, that like tickle my senses, like a Snickers bar, right. If I'm going to give that up because I know educationally it's bad for me, right. Then why would I give up something that I know is good for me, like raw dairy that I love the taste of, and it replaces those bad foods, right? Like Coca-Cola and Snickers bars and Doritos. If I can replace those with something that I, that like emotionally am attracted to, why would I do that? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me, right? If I know it's good and nutrient dense. So do you feel, so last week we talked about low temp pasteurized milk. Um, yep. like natural grocers, whole foods, they have that in case you don't have access to raw milk, but in your opinion, say somebody lives in an area where they only have access to like normal pasteurized milk. Do you think that they should avoid that or because like me, I, I think was you doing... can have it in moderation, but it's not ideal. Okay. I just don't Do think, think it's ideal. It's better than oat milk or soy milk or, or almond milk. That's highly processed. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I, I would rather have, I'd rather see you have like, you know, low heat pasteurized. If you're going to drink something like that, or you want something for your coffee or something like that, you know, like I, I mean, I do pasteurized cream in my coffee, but I saw also cream as a saturated fat. So it handles heat really, really well. Right. Saturated fats are the most stable molecular chain of the fats. So, um, I just try to, you know, I, I just, I'm not a big fan of, of like, you know, there's so much junk added to those like oat, oat and soy and almond milks that I, I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't touch those with a 10 foot pole, man. <laughs> I mean, they do have like simply almond, they have like pure almond milk that doesn't have anything added to it. I used to drink that before I discovered raw cow's milk, but yeah, but it's but still yeah. not ideal. It's still, right. it still has processed to get, you know, to milk that little almond. <laughs> um, earlier this summer, I was on a shoot in Acadia National Park and we're doing a big old running things. You guys are going for an FKT. So we just loaded up on food because we're going to be out there for like two or three days without any like real, like, like going to a restaurant or grocery store. And 
everyone else on on our crew as we went to whole foods they all bought these oatly um like cold brew coffees or something and i was just curious to look at the ingredients and like everything was like okay i think it had some sort of seed oil in it carrageenan and like all these things like the ingredient list was huge it wasn't just like here's coffee and some oats it was just like this massive list of things and everyone was making fun of me because i was eating like raspberries and like real foods and i thought it was kind of funny because it's like in their head it's like oh it's oat milk so it's healthy but it's like you actually look at the ingredients and do a little bit of not even digging just like looking at it at like a surface level and you're like oh man this stuff is straight garbage well that's the crazy thing is that people will make fun of you for eating real food you know and then they have processed food and then that's the norm that's normal right mm-hmm. that just it is, it does take a little bit to get out of the dogma, right? For people to like get out of that dogmatic like approach to what they've been taught. And, you know, the propaganda machine of big ag that has like permeated our food supply, um, you know, a bunch of false narratives, it's misinformation. And, and, and then it always is like a, interesting to me that people like, say, yeah, you should, what are you, you're crazy. You're eating a bunch of animal protein and, and raw milk and fruit. What? That's so bad for you. You're going to clog your arteries. And then they're all eating like, I don't know, a muffin and donuts and like Snickers bars and Coke. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) that's fine. Whatever. (laughs) So, um, Jeff, we, we need to wrap up soon, but I did have one more thing I want you to touch base on. And you've kind of touched base on it a lot through this episode already, but you, you said you're 51, right? Yep. So between trying vegetarianism, whole foods approach, keto, now animal based, like you've been on this journey for 20 plus years, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Since, yeah, I don't, I don't know, since the nineties, 95, probably. Okay. So as you've, as you've hit your fifties and as you've been an athlete and you've seen like, your like, you know, you've seen, if you go to your ultra sign up, you can see kind of a shift like a few years ago, like you used to win races and do really well, but like the consistency changed in a certain time period and your, your history on ultra sign up. So I'm just curious to know, like you've talked about low inflammation, you've talked about better metabolic health. As you've aged as an athlete, are there other long-term benefits that you've seen from eating this this way that you haven't touched on? I think the bi- biggest one as an athlete is like, for me, is inflammatory response and weight maintenance. Like, because as you get older, it's harder to stay lean um, because our, you know, our me- metabolism slow down, our protein synthesis gets less efficient. So like you 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 lose muscle mass, which means you get fatter if you stay the same weight, you know, like percent of body fat, whatever, right, goes up even though you're the same weight you've always been. So I think that that has been a huge, um, I mean, benefits I've seen is mainly recovery and infl- inflammatory response and weight maintenance are the two most important pieces out of this that I've seen. Um, I've also, you know, there is a, an experience thing. So if you want to keep it in context, right. You know, I, I definitely, there, there's an experience that, that helps you with performance, you know, being consistent for all these years too. Right. So I don't want to say it's just diet, right. But diet's a big factor, right. But also right. there's mobility and strength training. 
that's gone along with that to keep my muscle mass or to keep my muscle during this time as well to prioritize those things. I prioritize the other stuff besides just running, I think, um, is is it important to keep it in context. But I do think that the diet's 70% of it um, in that performance benefit because I've, I've, I, I, I've rarely gotten injured and, and I've been able to come back and recover really fast. You know, like Peter Defty and I were recently kind of analyzing the last like two years of my performance. And it's basically like, I'm ready to almost peak again in like six to eight weeks, every six or eight weeks, I race something big. And so like, it's like, I do a big race recover, and then I'm back ready to go again. And I haven't felt like I've been digging a hole, you know, like I'm not chronically fatigued. I feel like I got plenty of energy, you know, um, or anything like that. You know, um, I would say the desert solstice track wrecked me though, compared yeah. to every other race I've done lately. Like I'm more wrecked after that than I was after Moab 240. Um, just the repetitiveness of it. I just am not trained for that repetitive stress of the track of the same muscle groups. Like I still got a sore left hip, like this whole glute left side, low back is all still a little jacked up. I mean, I'm still run, I'm running, but it's tight. Like it, I feel like I can't, I'll get it to release for like five minutes and then it's like tight again. So that's been a little frustrating after the desert, ever after desert solstice is just like, I think that left glute hip is just a little pissed off because it got so tight during the race. Um, so that that's the only thing I've seen lately that I'm like a little frustrated with at the moment, but to be fully transparent to everyone out there, <laughs> it isn't all unicorns and rainbows all the time. I deal with <laughs> issues just like everyone else does. And would you say Jeff that um, like, <clears throat> shoot, I just lost my head. What I was going to ask you, <laughs> you have a question, Derek. I feel awkward now. <laughs> <laughs> what was leaving you shoot, hanging there? I, just... feeling awkward. Oh, it just left my head. I had a good question. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Just thinking about like desert solstice. Oh, that's such an anomaly as far as your running goes. And so, oh, like, dude, throw, so it's almost like so throwing different. a wrench in years. Yeah. Different sport. Yeah, 100%. Like being out there and watching yours, like, oh, this is so like, it's interesting, but also boring at the same time. A lot of people <laughs> just say like running itself is boring, but like trail running, you have things to look at. It's very dynamic. Even road running can be dynamic to a certain extent, but like, when you're on the track, it's like, okay, like here I go for another two minutes or whatever around the track. I'm going to see my crew again. 403 again. laps. Oh man. That's Never a lot again. of laps. One and done. That, uh, that four hour directional switch is magical though, right? Yeah. You're just looking forward to it. Yeah. That's a long so, time to look forward for a switch, but. Whatever. Oh man. That was hard. <laughs> so I do remember what I was going to ask you, Jeff. Um, you, you probably know more than I do in terms of this question, but from my perspective, there's not a lot of ultra runners in their fifties that are still doing what you're doing. Correct. No, I mean, I, I, know, I know you probably don't want to like, I know that's I, probably I mean, not I, even, question. I mean, I'm trying to think of, I am trying to think of someone. Um, not that Bob I know, Hearn, is he in his fifties? Who's that? Bob Hearn or um... Bob Hearn's in his late fifties now. I think he's fifty-eight or something, fifty-nine. Harvey Lewis. Harvey Lewis. Is he in his fifties yet, or is he still like late forties? I'm not sure. I I'm think he's. Sure what? I would have like, to look it up. But yeah, but, there's there's a handful, maybe at most, right? Yeah, but there's not very many. Yeah, definitely not very many. 
I'll say like, so when you, when me and Jeff first met, it was, uh, 2017, we were going to the Zion light ultra athlete retreat. And, uh, he's the one that told me about the low carb approach. And I remember, so for me, it took me like two months to adapt, which is two to three months, which is kind of long. Wouldn't you say Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. For somebody to adapt to a low carb approach. And just like retrospectively, I was doing a lot of things wrong. I wasn't supplementing electrolytes, which is a huge thing that you need to do when you, when you do this approach. But I I kept asking myself like why I thought I stuck with the approach when I wasn't seeing results as fast as I wanted to. And I think one of the biggest things is, is when I met you in 2017, you were, I mean, that was five or six years ago. So you were 45 ish. And I remember like when I saw you, I thought you were maybe 35 36. And when you told me you're in your mid to late forties, it just blew my mind that you were running the way you were, that you looked the way you did, like as young as you did. And so I think like a huge thing that convinced me to stick with it and just, and play it out. And like, whenever I talk to people, that's like one of the biggest things I say about you is like, you're in your fifties, you're still a competitor and you're still crushing it out there. And I think like, obviously strength training, like you said, plays into that, but I think like nutritionally, that's a big part of it. And for me, that's the biggest convincing factor to stick with something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I felt, feel like I've found a a piece of the longevity puzzle, right? Not saying it's the end all be all, but I do think it's a, a, it's a, it's a major puzzle piece. Um, You know, at least with my experience through different diets over the years, like it's just night and day how I feel on it. Um, and how I recover, you know, I done 2200s when I did this switch and now I've done 40 some, I don't know, 46 or something. So I've done basically doubled what I had done in, in that window. And that's only in seven years. So it was 14 years of, you know, high carb athlete, 22, and I was eating organic, right. Organic whole foods, but I was still pretty high. I was high carb, um, during that whole time until the end of 2015, um, when I really went low carb. Um, but I, I think the biggest benefit I saw was the repeat. It lacked after hundred. Like I just was way, I recovered way, like half the time than I did before previously. And I had a 2200s to bear it to. And, and I was younger in those days too, which I should have <laughs> been recovering faster. Right. 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 Not, I should be recovering slower in my forties, but I saw all of a sudden like a switch got flipped when I switched my diet and I was like, Whoa, you know, first hundred on it was like, what? And I had friends, like I converted multiple friends, Jesse Haynes and, um, uh, my buddy, George Plumerity. They both went hardcore too afterwards. Cause they crewed for me at hurt 100 and they saw the recovery and they both crewed for me in previous hundreds when I was high carb and they saw how inflamed and gnarly I was after I'd win a race and they'd just be like, dude, you're like, I'd be just swollen ankles, swollen knees, like puffy face, you know? And all of a sudden they were like, uh, what'd you do, dude? Like this, I, I, they were asking me questions and they wanted to know like what's going on. And they both made the shift and saw the benefit too. And both guys, you know, Jesse's a, like a year younger than me. So, or two years. So we're almost the same age. And George is a little younger. He's like in his mid forties, I think, or now, or something like that. Um, but at the time, you know, he was right around 40 or 39 and I was, you know, in my mid forties, I think I was 44 at the time. And, 
And so we all were in our kind of round our early 40s and when we were mid to early 40s when we all did it and we all saw benefit, like changed body type, right? You got leaner, like lost weight, like the puffiness, like recovery puffiness afterwards. Like there's a whole phase of recovery after 100 that basically we bypassed the first phase of swole, really swollen, we really really bypassed and then they also i found that like what you eat in 72 hours after the race makes a difference in your inflammatory yeah. response you know if you let the reins loose and eat a bunch of crap then you're gonna be inflamed and it doesn't matter and then it takes a while to get that inflammation out right to flush it out you know too yeah. right we've, we've dabbled in this stuff a lot with big races 200s and hundreds you know because you get big inflammatory response after big events like 200s and 200s um, they're just hard on you, you know? Yeah. I personally experimented after a couple of races last year, <clears throat> like after one. Two, so last year I did Bigfoot 200 and Moab 200. And I can't remember which one it was, but one, I had like a sweet potato fries or something that was like cooked in seed oils and stuff like within 12 hours after finishing. And I puffed up for a few days versus waiting. It was either three, two or three or four days where I ate very clean, very low carb, a lot of whole foods, no seed oils, no processed foods, high protein, met, high protein. And then I had some sweet potato fries and there was still like no swelling. And so just waiting. Right. That few, yeah. You have to get through that first like inflammatory phase after the, after the effort. Right. Right. If you can eat clean through that inflammatory phase, it, you just bypass a whole phase. Like you, it, you'll still have some inflammation, but not like you would if you went out and ate a bunch of seed oils and junk. So right. I'm always super strict for like the first 48 to 72 hours, depending on how big the effort was and how long. But I find that I, I recover way faster if I do that. Yeah, same here. Cool. Did you have something, Derek, before we wrap up? No, um, I say we wrap, Jeff. That was that was super interesting. And it's cool to hear your perspective on that. Because I think, like we mentioned previously, we all get kind of trapped in dogma, especially nutritional dogma. And it kind of becomes a little cultish. And I myself yeah. was the same way for a long time. It's just like, okay, like I'm just going to do keto. Like keto is the cure for everything. And then like the more you learn, you kind of open your eyes a bit and you learn new data and base like, I guess your, I don't know, your new, um, I don't know you'd call it, like your new analysis or outlook on on life and diet based off those new data. And I think that's really important. So it's cool to see you change and other people change as well and like kind of optimize uh, nutritional strategies and um, workouts based off what's relevant to you because like what's relevant for somebody like that's walking three miles a week is not the same as somebody running 100 miles a week and right. i think it's really important to keep in mind um but like thanks for coming on the show that was really cool and is it's always good to chat with you guys and um, i know we all have to go we all have other commitments as well so anything else you guys want to say before we wrap up and good to catch up guys yeah for sure no, I, thanks for coming, Jeff. And if you're open to it, I think it'd be fun to have you on another time in the future because we do want to do an episode about animal-based nutrition or just improving nutrition for children. Because I know that that's a big factor for people who want to eat better, but it's just harder when they have young kids and you have a lot of experience with this through all your nutritional shifts with your children. Uh, but yeah, sometime it'd be awesome if you could come join us for that too. We can nail that down another time though. Yeah, cool. cool. Sounds great. All right, cool. guys, um, let's cut it and we'll be done for the day. Thanks, guys. Okay. Sounds good. Thank right. you. Thanks, guys.